Fit for Performance Radio episode 12. So today I thought I'd do something a little bit different because it's uh, been a bit of a crazy week for me and a crazy probably few months or few years but as many of you may know last weekend on Saturday the 11th of November I was fortunate enough to be selected for a TED talk in TEDx Perth and this was um, a process that probably started back in July where you nominate to be a TEDx speaker and you go through a number of uh, different types of selection face-to-face, written and then a kind of an assessment of your presentation and more, more importantly the message you want to get out now the TEDx events have become quite popular over the last I don't know maybe five to seven years I've been pretty familiar with them on a range of different topics and they're really kind of a a presentation format that allows people with different ideas or different passions or different energies to try and come forth and explain those or communicate those in different formats. One of the things about the TEDx events that I like is that, and this was my first one to go to, but one of the things I like about the videos is that they're always varied. So it's not like you're going to a stuffy old conference or you're in a work presentation where you're getting the same old thing kind of rammed down your throat for the whole day. You can get one person singing a song, the next next person is a scientist, the next person is um, telling a personal story, uh, and the next person could be a, a poet, so it's quite an interesting day. So for me it was a, a very interesting event to be involved in. So I wanted today to talk about a little bit about that event, but also to talk um, or discuss some questions, because after I presented on Saturday, um, and this is a positive, there were so many questions afterwards, even though we did a Q&A at the terrace stage at the Perth Concert Hall, but there were so many additional questions afterwards and at the after event, and I was quite exhausted when I got home and uh, rewarded myself with pizza and tiramisu and slept, <laughs> ironically, a lot after I was pretty exhausted. But in saying that, it was, it was great to hear all these questions that are coming forth, so I wanted to discuss some of those today. Um, I'm going to start with kind of giving a little bit of an overview of the TED Talk. Now this TED Talk will come out on YouTube in the next few months. I'm not too sure when it's going to come out. Um, but it will be released anywhere from two to six months from now. Um, and as soon as it does, I will let you know. Don't worry, I will hammer it out on social media as best I can. And you can use that yourselves to, to share around. So like I said, the TED Talk happened last, um, last Saturday. It was a crazy experience. There was 1,700 people in the audience. It was by far the biggest crowd I've ever spoken to face-to-face. And uh, it was quite daunting, especially when we did the rehearsals the day before on the Friday, because you get a kind of a sense of the size of the Perth Concert Hall. And um, the other thing that struck me as well is when you are on, those sta- on a stage like that, the amount of lighting and the heat that's there as well, it's, it's really hard to understand, I think, unless you've done it before, um, how distracting it is that. And there's kind of three different levels at Perth Concert Hall. So trying to break the crowd up into different groups to maintain eye contact or look in their general direction was completely, well, it was very difficult, but in some cases just impossible because you're blinded by the light. So you're just kind of talking into the the ether there and there's nothing really there responding back. But what was really nice was um, for the people I did see around the front and the middle sections was the enthusiasm on their face and their willingness to hear the message uh, normally we present at a workplace or in a scientific conference people either have been told to go there or they don't want to go there or they have to be there and so this was really interesting to have this kind of very engaging 
smiling <laughs> response in the in the talk. So that was that was uh, that was really good. So for me, it, w it was an awesome experience. And uh, when I was finished, it was quite exhilarating. It was like getting, I suppose, pushed over a plane. I was just on a high afterwards. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was awesome. So the talk itself, without giving away, I'll have to give away some, but because it's done now, but I won't give away too much. Um, the talk kind of starts off with some of my personal experiences. As you've heard me discuss on the podcast, or for those of you who know me, um, I discuss a little bit about sleep deprivation in the military and the effects of that. And then I discuss some of the sleep deprivation um, I've experienced during ultra running, particularly in the 100 mile runs or the 166 odd K runs that I do or have done. Not too many this year, but um, yeah, so I talk about those and the effect on performance, in particular cognition. Then I go in and speak a little bit about some of the scientific background about sleep and the effect that sleep has on our life and how, how it's controlled, so the drive for sleepiness and the timing chip or the, if you want to call it that, the master body clock, the suprachiasmatic nuclei, often referred to as the SCN. So that one is the suprachiasmatic nuclei. Then we do, I discuss kind of stages of sleep and that really kind of set me up to kind of give people a, a good overview of my personal experiences and then the um, so, so, uh, touching very briefly on the kind of physiology behind sleep. And it's important to know as well that there's so many different avenues we can go with sleep research um, as you probably appreciate with some of the guests we've had on before and in this um, talk I wanted to keep it quite brief. There was kind of four key areas that I kind of touched on after this. One was the um, impact of poor sleep to community and one of the uh, interesting reports I've, I've kind of drawn on for this and it's quite surprising is here in Australia um, but one in three people do not get enough sleep and that's not getting like seven to nine hours per night. And then one in five experiences sleep disorder. Now, when people say sleep disorder, they often think that, oh, it's just can't get enough sleep. It's worth noting that there's over 80, 80 sleep disorders recognized by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And they're broken up into different ones such as sleep-related breathing disorders, which would be things like obstructive sleep apnea. And most people would notice because of snoring. Um, then you have behavioral disorders or REM behavioral disorders, so people sleepwalking overnight, acting out their dreams. There's a classic insomnia where you can't fall asleep, you can't stay asleep, or you wake up too early. And so these are just some of the groups that kind of um, cover these 80 or so sleep disorders. And what's surprising as well with this recent report I've been referring to, which was done or completed by the Sleep Health Foundation and Deloitte Access Economics, is that 394 Australians, so more than one a day, dies in this country from incidents on the road or industrial incidents resulting from fatigue. Now this is quite a timely number and this is probably a period of the year um, coming into December and early January where these kind of statistics will probably increase due to long travel distances for many of us going on a family vacation or holiday simply just you know being out and about more often and then if you are silly enough to consume alcohol and drive as well this coupled with fatigue is going to exacerbate this risk and the other interesting one is the productivity so if you kind of don't even care about the people part of it is the productivity aspect which is 18 billion dollars is lost in productivity each year 
or approximately two and a half thousand dollars per person and for those of you wondering no i didn't do the statistics on that that's what comes out of the report they're economists so i trust the figures are correct i'm not going to question them and nor do i have the time <laughs> the other aspect i discussed as well which is quite shocking to a number of people and this has been out for a while is that shift work increases the odds for cancer the world health organization has determined that shift work in particular working night shift is a type 2a carcinogen now what that means is that it's highly probable that working permanent night shift and in particular over 20 years may lead to cancer and this is in the same group as anabolic steroids so you can interpret that whatever way you want but for me i wouldn't be very keen on doing permanent night shift the thing to remember here is that we are what's called diurnal animals we're not meant to be awake at night we could never fully adapt to being night people or night owls or whatever way you want to term it we're meant to be awake during the day and we're meant to be asleep at night yes there's a certain amount of adaptation that comes but um you're never going to be fully adapted or f be fully optimized working on nights and for those of you working shifts who are continually changing this will cause disruption as well we also see when these shifts are greater than 10 hours so if you're at work for more than 10 hours then the risk significantly goes up so if you're commuting after a 12-hour shift or commuting too this is going to increase the risk as well this was a question i got asked a couple of times the other day and it was asked by a couple of emergency services people um, and people in the health profession around what's the best roster to work and the answer to that is how long is a piece of string and my answer is six inches because I carry a piece of string six inches in my pocket no I don't really but I should do it depends it, it really does depend it depends on a number of factors about which roster or which shift is best for you and which is best for the company so when we talk about shifts and rosters we have to break these into two categories organizational factors and individual factors so organizational factors kind of relates to the operation that you're working in whether it be emergency services mining a hospital transportation taxi driver whatever it might be what's the hours of operation that are required what's the best shift that's going to suit that operation in terms of productivity because we have to be realistic it is a business that has to make money and it's how we get paid so there has to be a kind of a compromise I'm not saying that one outrides the other, but we do have to start somewhere. So we tend to start at the organizational factors. And the reason being is if we don't get it right at the organizational level, we can never expect individuals to work safely within that. So we always try to look at the organizational factors first. Determining which shift is best is normally done using biomathematical modeling. Now, biomathematical modeling has been used traditionally in aviation and military and it's designed to kind of give you this score of alertness which then can be used to assess a particular roster or a shift or even use an incident investigation where you can kind of go back and look at the time of day when it occurred and so every roster is going to be uniquely different the other kind of factors that affect this as well would be commute time so if you're only commuting 10 minutes to your workplace and you start at six in the morning well the risk is going to be quite lower compared to somebody who's got to commute for an hour each day because it obviously increases their hours of wakefulness and increases their time on those tasks such as commuting and at work the other thing that will affect this as well is the geographical location now not so bad in places like Australia Singapore 
you know, places around the equator because you nearly get 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of sunlight. But when you start going to places like um, British Columbia and Canada, Antarctica, you're going to have this kind of massive variation in light and dark cycles. Um, Sweden, Norway, and even to a lesser extent in places like Ireland and, and Britain and so on, where particularly during the summer, I know it's from personal experience growing up in Ireland, you, it could be bright like half four in the morning and it would stay bright till like nearly 11 o'clock at night, which is uh, not good if you're coming out of a pub at night because you went to the pub and it's bright and you come out of a pub and it's bright. It makes you not feel so good when you come out. <laughs> so those, those things will all have an effect on the, on the modeling and on the roster as well. When we start looking at kind of emergency services, quick turnarounds, which are generally two days, two night shifts and four off, we have to look at the management of the roster in between the days to night shift. We also have to look at the, the, tra- the, the, the load, the workload. And even with athletes, we use the same model as well. We have to look at the kind of the training load as well. So there's a number of different factors there. And so it's very difficult to kind of say which roster is better than another because there is so many factors. And then we apply the individual factors, like we said, and then it can change again. So it's a kind of a multifactorial process and not one that is as easy as many people may think. But in saying that, there is some principles you can go by. And some of those principles include probably not starting before 6 a.m. in the morning, if possible. And if you can not start your commute till after 6, this is even better again. Not working more than 10 hours. Avoiding working permanent night shift. And then if you can minimize the amount of shift work you do as well. So the kind of broad brush strokes we would say around the kind of shift work if you can avoid doing those. And then if you have to do those, then we would have specific strategies for those. The, the other aspect I discussed in the talk the other day, and one that comes up as well, is about productivity, production, performance over time. So not all hours of awake equals productivity. And we see this a lot in terms of variation of productivity from some very limited studies in industry. And we also see the same as well across endurance athletes who are awake for many days. When we're awake between midnight and six o'clock in the morning, we generally have a lower body temperature, we have low cortisol, we have high melatonin. And what that means is that basically, like I said already, we're supposed to be asleep at this time and not awake. So our body is behaving as if we should be asleep and therefore we have this kind of downtime or decrements in performance. So between midnight and six o'clock in the morning, as many of you probably experienced, if you're awake during this time working or you had to get up and get an early morning flight or you simply couldn't w- uh, stay asleep when you're awake, you're not going to perform as well during this time. So not all hours of wake are equal. We also discussed as well um, people working offices or executives because a number of people kind of go, oh, well, I'm not a shift worker and I'm not an elite athlete. So, you know, my sleep's okay. It doesn't really matter because if I make a mistake, you know, I'm just going to kind of fall on my chair or my desk and that's about it or hit the wrong keyboard. Um, this necessarily isn't true. Yes, the, the short term or the, the kind of first impact from a safety perspective is probably going to be lesser for you in that respect because you're not driving a big truck, you're not operating on somebody, you're not being a paramedic or in a firefight or whatever your occupation may be. Yeah, it's not as probably as intensive as that. 
But what we do see happening in many office public-based workers is, one is we see a rise in body weight because we're so sedentary throughout the day, lack of movement. We see them gaining weight. If they're tired, they tend to go for more caffeine, sugary drinks, and make poor food choices, which all leads to weight gain. And when I spoke about the sleep disorders a few moments ago, we find that when people gain weight that there is a link between your body mass and sleep disorder. So basically, the heavier, the fatter you get, the more chance you have of developing a sleep disorder, and they're most likely gonna be a sleep-related breathing disorder, such as obstructive sleep apnea, or snoring, which may indicate a mild form of sleep apnea. And so there's different degrees of severity of the sleep apnea, but you are increasing your risk of, of those. In addition to that, we see that people who consume a lot of coffee during the day or caffeine drinks, such as Coke or even lots of chocolate, all caffeinated types of food and beverages are going to then affect your sleep because caffeine has got a half-life of four to six hours. So if you're consuming caffeine up to four or five o'clock in the evening or even after dinner, well then that's going to keep delaying your sleep or the time at sleep onset. And we've seen this many times in, um, in shift workers and I, I have a study in review at the moment which is looking at the same thing in elite rugby players so we know that caffeine does negatively affect sleep and whilst it might help you from an ergogenic perspective in terms of improving cognitive performance or physical performance it is going to affect your sleep and for those of you who go to the gym after work and probably take pre-workout or working away and on many mind sites people are taking pre-workouts again these things are laced with caffeine and stimulants and are going to affect your sleep so the overuse of pre-workout is it can be problematic so if you are going to take pre-workout for example in the evening before you go to the gym you should be taking it about an hour before and similarly as well if you want to take caffeine performance for performance you should be taking it about an hour before because the pharmacokinetics suggests that caffeine takes from 30 to 60 minutes to peak in someone's body and so kind of consuming it straight away and walking into the gym is not going to be much benefit all it's going to do is peak when you leave the gym so you should try to really kind of take that strategically well at least a half an hour before if not even an hour beforehand so back to these kind of office workers as well another thing we find as well with people kind of work in offices or professionals is not only to have a lot of caffeine but they tend to have a lot of alcohol and this could be due to work functions travel um, any of these sort of business related things and then if you're flying internationally or interstate um, you know, these, these, these conditions are going to be exacerbated and so the use of caffeine and alcohol is not really recommended to help those. And sure, alcohol will make you feel sleepy, but it will disrupt your sleep overnight and lead you to kind of wake up and go to the bathroom more as well. So when we talk about athletes as well, um, exactly what I said about the caffeine affecting that sort of time at sleep onset after a game in particular when, when athletes take it for performance, but also as well, as well we see sleep duration is affected after competition. Now it's interesting looking through a number of the scientific um, published studies in this area because there is a difference between individual athletes and team-based athletes. So the team-based athletes tend to have poor sleep after a game or after a competition, but the individual athletes tend to have poor sleep the night before a competition. And this may be due to the fact that the team-based athletes the whole outcome of the game or the whole outcome of the competition is not reliant on them individually um, whereas the individual athletes obviously it is so 
you know, this could be this could be a major factor. The other factor could be as well as the time. Individual athlete sports tend to be earlier in the morning, where team-based sports tend to be in the afternoon or the evening, allowing people to get more sleep the night before and not be so stressed out. So these are a couple of things that we see in the athletes. Kind of circling back to the sleep disorders, not much has been done in sleep disorders in elite athletes. We just have submitted another study as well about the prevalence of sleep disorders in athletes. And we've reported that one in three elite athletes have a sleep disorder, which is actually higher than the general population because we see that one in five in the general population have a sleep disorder, but we see one in three with elite athletes. And again, this is going to affect their sleep, may potentially affect their performance, but also in the long term, it's going to affect their, um, you know, their physical health and probably mental well-being as well in some cases. So a couple of kind of takeaways from some of these questions and the talk on the weekend was, well, what can I do? What can I do to kind of improve this? Well, first of all, I'd say, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting seven to nine hours a night? If not, what's causing you not to get that, get that sleep? Do you have a sleep disorder? Do you find it difficult to fall asleep? What about your caffeine consumption? What about your alcohol consumption before bed? Are you relaxing? Are you, or are you doing stimulating tasks before going to bed? Are you trying to do heaps of stuff on your laptop? Catch up on work? Read a technical book? Attend lectures? Watch YouTube? Watch Netflix? Seemingly Netflix has a war with sleep. I don't know who started that war, but um, yeah. So remember with Netflix that unlike television, you can actually stop it and watch it whenever you want. Whereas TV, at least you would have an excuse it's not maybe not going to be on again for a few months but uh with netflix you can pause it and watch it another day and i've been guilty of that as well some of these shows are just too good sometimes and that's why we need to make a plan for sleep you know we plan for all these other things we plan about shifts and rosters in organizations we plan for physical activity we plan for our lives we plan our kids we plan all these different things but are we doing a plan for our, our sleep and the easiest way to probably plan for your sleep is what I say to many people is, what do you do with your kids before they go to bed? And it's generally relaxing time, no stimulating activities, they're not watching anything that's gonna get them all fired up, read them a book, quiet time, and so we should be doing the same thing for adults as well, because uh, getting ourselves all hyped up before bed is, is not really uh, good for us. One of the biggest things I see with people these days is, not so much the electronic devices in terms of having electronic devices, but probably more the activity. Like checking emails before they go to bed, and if you get a nasty email of somebody or something that's problematic, well then that's gonna really affect them before they go to sleep. And this can affect people on the weekends as well, and make people stressed out. So, probably not to touch your phone. And for those of you sending out stuff like that, maybe we're thinking about sending those emails out at that time of day or night, and what the effect that may have on people if they do see them. So if you are a boss and you're sending out an email to your, your team, Oh, I want to see you in the morning, but not much info. You might make that person stressed out or over the weekend as well. So for the leaders out there, maybe, you know, curb those emails at those times of the day as well, because it might have a negative effect on other people. And the last thing then is around optimization. You know, we spoke about in the morning between nine and 12 is great for kind of cognitive performance and decision-making, but also as well in the afternoon, the best time for cardiovascular efficiency and strength if you want to hit those personal bests between four and seven in the evening. Now I know some people are saying, well I like to try in the morning, I like to get out of the way. 
I'm not saying that's bad, but if you would like to optimize it, well, it's good. But if you are continually getting up really early in the morning and breaking your sleep and continually feeling tired, well, then you may want to look at your training scheduling and your training duration. And when I talk about early morning training sessions, I'm talking about getting up at like half three, four o'clock in the morning. I had some questions last week and some people think the early morning training sessions are half seven. Now, depends on your age. These people were probably early 20s, so that is early for them. But when you're kind of in your late 30s, 40s, 50s, that's probably not late for you. So if you are, you know, having those trend, do undertaking trend at those times, just kind of do it in terms of how you feel. So kind of have a look at your, what we call your chronotype. Do you like to go to bed late and get up late? Do you like to go to bed early and get up early? And so you can do it, you can kind of tear your trend around that. And once I say that's the best time, that's about optimization. So, you know, these are just little tips that may help you. But if you're an endurance athlete, for example, well, in terms of running for 24 hours, well, you're gonna to have to be nearly on point at all of these times, all these times of day, so it may not be applicable. Okay, so that's just a little bit overview of the talk, some of the questions I had, um, kind of incorporating there into some of those things. And um, yeah, it was quite interesting. The other question I got as well, um, it was in relation to technology. So it was uh, sleep cycle apps. Somebody asked me about sleep cycle apps. I have to say two things that came up on the weekend that I, I want to just probably point out here is one that sleep cycle apps on phones. I have not seen any scientific, scientifically validated studies on these. I have not seen any scientifically validated studies on mattresses either. These were some of the most common questions that I got on the weekend and have and do get. And so, you know, they're not actually devices for measuring sleep really. They're just taking generic information we think and assessing and making a prediction based upon sleep cycles. So not really too sure how they specifically work but I would suggest that you do not place a lot of faith in them because especially if you have dogs or cats or a partner in the room jumping around, that's all going to affect whatever way these are picking these things up, but either by noise or movement. So yeah, just uh, exercise caution when using those. All right, I'm gonna bring that to a close there. That's just a little bit of overview of the talk last week. Some of the questions I had as well, and there's plenty more questions I've been coming in that I'll address in a further podcast. Um, we are coming up into the kind of a Christmas period soon, so please take care on the roads if you're out and about. It's somewhere down in the southern hemisphere, many people out driving around, going to the beach, getting out and about. Please be careful with alcohol, driving, and just um, your own fatigue levels on the road. Stay tuned to the Sleep for Performance podcast for more tips, more information. Uh, two interesting guests coming up in the next two episodes after this one from North America. Jacob Fiedler from Fatigue Science. They have a very cool kind of wrist-worn device called a ready band, which has been used by elite athletes. So we have Jacob on. And then following that, we have Todd Dawson, who is a biological anthropologist who studied at Harvard and now works for Caterpillar, the company that does all the big machines for mining companies, not Caterpillar the clothing, as some people think it was. Somebody said to me recently, oh, Caterpillar the clothing, do, do they work in mine sites as well? It's like, what the answer is, well. Anyway, until next time guys, sleep well.
Take a look at me now. So 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 take a look